don't know what this is doing up here. Does anyone want to catch? Oh, there we go. It's just a bit of wool. It was just on the lectern. Stories. Stories are everywhere, aren't they? That, there was that wool had a story. Why on earth was it on the lectern? Probably because it was from the nativity this morning. But who, over Christmas, is going to be thinking about stories? Just stick your hand in the air if you're going to be reading a book this Christmas. Quite a lot of hands going in the air. Who is going to go to the cinema this Christmas? Who's going to go and watch a film? A few people? Anyone going to a pantomime or a play? Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> that was inevitable, wasn't it? Pantomimes, they're very popular over this time of year, aren't they? What about telling stories? We love to tell stories, don't we? We often sit round at this time of year with friends or family and we tell stories. Who thinks they're going to be telling a story? It must just be me. The rest of us don't have conversation. Who thinks they're going to be listening to stories? <laughs> Who thinks they're going to be listening to long, boring stories? No, I won't ask that one. Who's going to be going on social media watching other people's stories? And thinking, why is their life better than mine. That's always the danger, isn't it? But stories are everywhere. I want you to think for a minute, not just about made-up stories, but about stories that are actually true. Because there are lots of stories that are true, aren't there? Each of us has a life story. None of our life stories have yet come to an end. That's why we're still sat here, breathing, singing, doing what we're doing tonight. Just think about your own life story for a moment. Or think about perhaps some national stories, stories that are going on at the moment. This book is great, by the way. If you're looking to buy somebody a Christmas gift, the story of Brexit. There is no ending to this book at the moment. I don't know whether there ever will be, but there certainly isn't at the moment. But it's a true story, whether we like it or not. I don't know if you've ever sat back and just been amazed at the number of stories that you're part of. The number of true stories, the story of your life, the story of your families, the story of your friends, the story of our nation, the stories that go on all around us. But I wonder whether you've ever asked, where is God in all of this? What is God's story? What is God doing in the midst of all our true life stories? Because it can be easy sometimes to think, well, I can see God in the good stuff, I can see God at this time of year when everyone's smiling and looking happy. But what happens when things aren't so good? Can we see God in the mess of this world as well, when there is tragedy and heartache? Where is God? What is his story? Today, we've been hearing about the unfolding of the Christmas story. And it's a a very ancient story. It's a story that goes back 2,000 years. But the Christmas story is just a very small part of the Bible. Now, Christians for 2,000 years have believed that the Bible is God's word to us, that it's God speaking to us himself. Now, I know we've got some mathematicians in the room today. Do you want to know what percentage of the Bible is the Christmas story? 0.34%. 0.34%. I didn't work that out, just in case you're wondering. I did find it out there. 0.34%. Now, what that suggests to me is God has an awful lot more to say to us than just about a baby in a manger, important and essential though this is. And as you read the Bible, actually, as you go right to the end, you see that it tells us about what's going to happen. 
We started our story of um, God's story, if you like, right at the beginning today, when we read from Genesis and saw how it all began. So what can we say about God? What can we say about God's story, if you like, about what God has been doing? Because if it just ends up here, we can miss everything if we just leave Jesus in the manger. So the first thing is, is that God loves us. God loves us. As human beings, we like to create, don't we? We like to write things. We like to draw. Well, some people do. I don't. Well, I do, but I can't do it. We like to write songs or music. Some people are engineers and like to build structures. Some people are mathematicians and like to write equations. But we like to create things. Now, God himself is the creator. He is the one who created us. And he created us and he loves us. There's a verse here that was written by one of Jesus' disciples later on in his life. 1 John 4, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. That's the first thing. God loves us. The second thing, God rescues us. You know, as we look at our world that we live in, you don't have to look very hard to see that things are not right. You don't have to look at the news for many minutes to see that actually as human beings, we do a great job of messing things up. We can't get on with one another. We fall out with one another. The world is wrapped with problems because of what the Bible calls sin, rebellion against God, and just that inability to love one another. And you know, the problem with the world is not that it starts with somebody else. It's very easy. I don't know if you've ever done this. to think, wouldn't it be good if that person had heard what I was saying? Or wouldn't it be good if that person had heard that sermon or read that book? Then the problems for them would be sorted out. But you know, actually, the problems is me. If the world was perfect and I entered it, I would muck it up. If the world was perfect and you entered it, you would muck it up as well. We all need Jesus. We all need a saviour. Because you see, we can't do anything about the mess that we make of the world. We can't do anything about our failure to love. Jesus said the greatest thing a human being can do is to love God and love other people. The greatest thing a human being can do. And the Christmas events, they are part of God's bigger story. For hundreds of years before the time that Jesus came, prophets, people who God had given them an insight into what his heart was for people, had been saying, look, someone is coming, someone significant is going to be born, somebody is going to save you from all the rubbish stuff. And we know that those prophecies were written hundreds of years before Jesus came, because there is historical evidence for it. It's not some kind of stitch-up. Some more verses here. These are from Galatians. Another of Jesus' followers, Paul, wrote this. He says, But when the time was right, God sent his son, and a woman gave birth to him. His son obeyed the law so he could set us free from the law, and we could become God's children. See, the message that we hear through the Bible readings is that Jesus would live the life that we couldn't. He would live the perfect life. But people wouldn't accept him. People wouldn't accept his message. And the story of the Gospels goes on to tell us that Jesus taught people about the kingdom of God, about the rule of God in people's lives. He did miracles so that people knew that God was with him and was amongst him. And in fact, he himself was God. He would tell people that God wanted to be in their lives and in their hearts. But you know what Jesus ended up doing? 
He ended up upsetting the religious people of the day. And in today, what would be called fake news, they had him tried, they had him crucified, and he died on a cross. The Bible tells us very clearly that he did that for you and for me. To get rid of all that rubbish, to pay the price for all that rubbish that is in our lives. But the Bible also goes on to say that three days later, he rose from the dead. Death couldn't hold him because he'd lived a perfect life according to God's will. We sang a carol a few moments ago, Heart the Herald Angel Sings. It says in it, Risen with healing in his wings, Mild he lays his glory by, Born that man no more may die, Born to raise the sons of earth, Born to give them. Second birth. The third thing that God does is God invites us. Claire and I went out for a coffee the other day. And um, we were at the counter. You know how coffee shops like to have all their cakes laid out really nicely? Just so you're tempted. Well, on the counter of this coffee shop were some blueberry muffins. Now, I don't normally like eating a whole blueberry muffin. I don't know about you, but I always find they taste like Play-Doh. And the thought of wading through a big lump of Play-Doh is not particularly my idea of fun. But the good thing was, in this particular coffee shop, is they were out on the top, they were cut into quarters, and they were free. What can be better than that? Even if you don't like something, it's free. It's, it just tastes better, doesn't it? So, we go along, and I take a free one. Now, even I'm not cheeky enough to go back for more. But you know what the retailer wants you to do? The coffee shop owner wants you to go back and buy one, don't they? There is really a catch to those free muffins. The catch is, come back and buy one, and you two can then have a muffin and a quarter of a muffin. So you've had all those extra calories, all for free. But because they're free, they don't count. We all know that as well, don't we? But there are very few invitations that are free in life that don't have some kind of catch to them. There are very few things where somebody says, this is a free invitation, and yet actually there is not some hidden agenda behind it. When Jesus called his first disciples to follow him, he just said two words. Follow me. Very simply, come after me. Come and see what I'm about. Come and hear what I will teach. Follow me. And today, I believe that he calls each of us to do exactly that same thing. To simply follow him. See what he's about. See who he claims to be. See what his death and resurrection are all about. And to explore what I believe is a really exciting future. You know, all I can say about my life story tonight is that it has changed drastically with Jesus at the centre of it. I can only give you what is my, if you like, testimony, my evidence for what Jesus can do in somebody's life. But I believe that being part of that means that I'm part of this bigger story, part of God's story, that I can see the future that God has for me and for all eternity. I don't know where you're up to today. I don't know whether you've ever said to Jesus, yes, I will follow. I will do what those first disciples did. I will just come after you. I will see what you're about. Whether you've done it for the first time or whether you do it for the thousandth time, Jesus longs for us just to hear those words, yes, I will follow. Can I encourage you this Christmas that Jesus offers that invitation? Can I encourage you to respond to it? Let's pray. But when the time was right, God sent his son and a woman 
gave birth to him. Lord, we thank you that at the heart of the Christmas message is just that simple truth, that Jesus was born of Mary, that he came into this world as a saviour. And Lord, I want to pray that in whatever way that follow me means for us today, that you'll give us the courage to respond to your words. We just thank you for all the good news of Christmas. Thank you for all the words of hope and of joy and of excitement that we've heard tonight. And we just pray that as the weeks go ahead, as the days go ahead leading up to Christmas, you'll keep reminding us of all these things that you have come to the earth to do. But we thank you, Lord, that you call us now to follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen.